Well, good morning. A um, couple of reminders. I've already uh, talked to you about crew leaders for Vacation Bible School. Um, we always need a church like this, particularly a church like this. Um, what I mean by that is growing church, changing church, uh, you know, a church of 10,000, uh, they got something established. Church of 20, they got something covered. Uh, any kind here in the middle, uh, churches like this, they always need help and assistance and things. And so one of the things we continually need is people working upstairs in the sound booth, um, which is actually a lot of fun if you learn how to do that. Um, and uh, it's actually, it's, it's pretty easy uh, once you learn how. And so I encourage you, if that's a place you want to serve, a place you think you want to serve, please do that. Also, uh, Esther's service, Esther Jones' service, her funeral is going to be today, 3 o'clock. Most of you know that already here at the church. Uh, so just keep that in mind as we go through, uh, through the rest of the service today. That'll be... Three o'clock here at the church. I uh, I made a mistake, one of many, um, last Sunday evening. I tried fishing again. Um, yeah, you're shaking your head. Well, I just I need to give up on this. Um, we went a little little lake over in Union County, and everybody talked about how it's impossible to not catch a fish there. I can do the impossible. That's, that's what I've come away with. Ashley caught a fish. Sam caught a fish. And then they stopped and went for a walk, played on the playground, and I kept fishing. Nothing. Nothing. Same lake, same spot, same bait. I borrowed Ashley's pole. I said, here, use this. Nothing. No fish. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if they just don't like me. Uh, I don't know if I'm not nice enough to them. I don't know. But I, I can't catch fish. I, we, I, we would starve, you know, if, I, if that was my job or if we needed that. Um, but a couple days before that, uh, Sam and I were down at the, uh, the zoo, and uh, they have an aquarium down there at the zoo. It's fascinating watching seeing all the amazing fish that are in this aquarium at the zoo. Uh, we've been to a number of aquariums all over the place, and, and this one isn't, isn't particularly big, but it's, it's really neat to see all the amazing things. I mean, fish, you, you just you can't describe, you can't explain some of these amazing things. And they see them swimming around and chasing each other, and not, nobody's eating each other. That's probably pretty good. Uh, there's sharks in there, and there's all kinds of things in there. And then you move from that aquarium to another aquarium, and you have the manatees in there, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, manatees floating around, uh, real big things, you know. Uh, they get fed on lettuce, so, you know, that should tell you something. All right, leave the salads alone. Okay, I've been <laughs> telling people this for years. Don't, don't waste your life on vegetables. Um, but the, you got the manatees swimming around and playing, sea turtles, all kinds of things. And it's wonderful. It's beautiful. I'll tell you, it's just fascinating. Swimming here and swimming there, going all over the place in and throughout the coral. They can move. They can swim. They can even jump. I mean, they can do all kinds of stuff. 
but they're still in an aquarium. They're not in the ocean. They can't leave. It, it looks like they're free. It looks like they're having a lot of fun. It looks like they're being fish. But the truth is, they're, they're still trapped. They're not swimming around, out free, doing what fish are meant to do. Reminds me of, of catching fish. I, well, really nothing reminds me of catching fish. I don't know what that's like. But reminds me of reading about catching fish in Scripture. You know, Jesus talks about, uh, or, or Jesus talks to his disciples and on multiple occasions. He says, hey, look, you guys can't catch any fish today, right? I was hanging out with them that day. And they said, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they pulled up just gobs of fish. And as you pull up these fish, you see these fish just flipping and flopping and squirming all around, working hard, moving here, moving there. But they're still trapped in a net. And so long as they're trapped in the net, I don't care what they're doing. I don't care how much they're flipping and flopping and moving and trying to get away and trying to swing. So long as they're caught in the net, they're going to die. They're going to die. We are fish in a net without Jesus. Why does Paul keep talking in Galatians about justification through faith and not about doing good? We hear about doing good all the time. We hear about living after this righteousness. We talk about the wonderful things and the beautiful things and the noble things that Jesus wants us to do in our lives, yet to this point in the letter in Galatians, Paul has not talked once about doing good. Does doing good not matter? Here's why Paul hasn't talked about doing good. And he will later on in the letter. We'll get there. This is part three of a six-part series. We'll get there. But first, he needs to free us from the net. Paul's trying to free the Galatians from the net. And we need to be freed from the net as well. After he frees us from the net... Then he'll remind us how to swim. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for Paul, your servant. We thank you that we can be absolutely certain in the forgiveness of Christ. We thank you that we can be absolutely certain in the love of Christ. We thank you, Father, that we can be, should be, that we are built to be free men and women. Father, we ask that if there is a doubt, if there is a confusion, that you will open our hearts and our minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past couple of weeks, Paul's been introducing, kind of laying out the groundwork, laying the track for his argument that he makes to the Galatian churches, churches, multiple churches in the area of Galatia. He's laying out the fact that, look, this was not taught to him by a person. This was not invented. The gospel of Christ was not made up by somebody because it sounded good. Paul says, this was taught to me by the very Spirit of God himself, and it was eternal from the very beginning to the very end. Paul says, I'm not here to please anybody. He says that to the Galatians. He says, I'm not here to please you. 
And I think that's really the point and the way we need to see and understand the message in Galatians that Paul's not here to be nice. Paul's here to free us from death, free us from the net. Because that's how we live our life. Church, I'm seeing it today. I see it all over the place. People are flipping and flopping and moving and going and trying to swim here and there. I mean, they spend their time doing that. They spend their time in the aquarium. They spend their fortunes in the aquarium. They spend their reputations. They spend their education. They spend their hope in the aquarium. Guess what? You're still trapped. You're not going anywhere. You've heard about just spinning your wheels, right? Not actually moving. So Paul begins to level his argument to the Galatians in chapter 3, the churches in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he says this, you foolish Galatians. You see, they've given up on Jesus. They've given up on Jesus. And church, let me tell you something, something I don't think people understand, okay? When you give up on part of Jesus, you give up on the whole thing. Understand that. I'm tired of saying the same thing over and over again to people I see and meet and talk to. When we give up on part of Jesus, we give up on the whole thing. Tell your kids that. Tell your friends that. Why does it upset me? Because I hear it in churches. I hear it in churches around the world, people being led into destruction because they've given up on Jesus. They've given up on taking their life and laying it down at the foot of the cross and saying, look, I can't do anything to save that. That's what salvation in Christ is. People want to keep a part of Christ. They want to keep a little bit of Jesus. But they also want to throw themselves into the mix and say, I've got to do this. I've got to work for this. I've got to do the right thing, say the right thing, wear the right clothes, sing the right songs, go to the right church. Jesus says, I just want you. Forget about the mess. Jesus fixes the mess. They've given up on Jesus in these Galatian churches. He says, you fools. You fools. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And how does Paul know that? Because Paul's the one that taught them. Paul says, when I was there, I taught you that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins. If you are going to do anything with your sins, there's no reason for Jesus to be crucified. If you are going to do anything with your life to save it, there's no reason for Jesus to be crucified. Paul says, I was the one that taught you that Jesus was crucified for you. He refers to these people as fools. Not fools in intellect. Jesus, people out there are a lot smarter than me. Just about everybody meets smarter than me. But fools in practice. Who are the fools? Those who think they can earn salvation. Those who think they must. Those who walk around scared because they think they haven't done enough or they're not walking the line. Those who think that being good, and you've heard this a million times, church, being good gets you to heaven. That's the fool. That is denying Christ. Is being good good? Yes. Hang on. We'll get there at the end of the letter. 
but it doesn't save you. He asks, who tricked you? That is bewitched, that is charmed, misled by flattery or false promises. In this case, it was false teachers coming up from Jerusalem to uh, Galatia, actually through Antioch and into Galatia, telling people that if you don't keep the Old Testament law perfectly, just for our purposes, if you don't work hard enough, okay, then you cannot be saved. It was false teachers that bewitched these people. Sometimes it's us, though. Sometimes we bewitch ourselves. Sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking. We get caught up in in fear. We get caught up in this idea that you can't get something for nothing. Well, you didn't get something for nothing. It cost the life of Jesus Christ. And by the way, sometimes it's people with the best of intentions that are just wrong. And you know where the road leads that's paved with best of intentions. You know, my dear sweet grandma, well, if you don't live right, again, we've said before, that's a message from hell. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. The truth was taught plain enough, and I hope the truth is taught plain enough for you or to you today. Certainly in these past two series that we are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus was crucified for you. In case you haven't heard it, it goes something like, like this. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, not works for him, okay? He's not, a, he's not the, uh, the, the, the boss, right, on the, on the site that you got to work for to earn the paycheck. We believe in him. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 2 of Galatians, Paul says, I'd like to learn just one thing. Tell me one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Did you receive the gift of God and dwelling the person, the gift of the Holy Spirit by works of the Old Testament law or by any type of works in your life, or did you receive it by believing what you were told about Jesus Christ. What Paul's saying is, this doesn't make any sense. On the face of it, it's contrary to common sense. Most of the people you're ever going to encounter try, not all, but most, try to be good, don't they? The majority of people you're ever going to come across try to be good. If we receive the Spirit of God by good works, wouldn't we have that before accepting Christ? Wouldn't that be a gift before accepting Christ? In fact, if you were a small child, innocent child, loving child, wouldn't it be bestowed to you then? And then ripped away from you as you got older and messed up. Paul says this doesn't even make any sense. Once we met the good enough mark, we would receive the Holy Spirit. Paul says that's false. For that matter, what would the good enough mark be? Would it be based upon your scale or would it be based upon my scale? Would it be based upon someone else's? It's impossible to receive the saving grace of the Holy Spirit by works. We receive it by trusting Jesus. And it's the Spirit alone that guarantees our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now does God who makes both us and you stand firm in Jesus. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us. And put his spirit in our hearts. Why? It was a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That is eternal life. 
salvation. And we only gain the Spirit through the acceptance of Jesus. Verse 3, Paul says, You so foolish, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Later on today, uh, uh, in second service, we have a special uh, time. Uh, Myra's going to be baptized into the body of Christ, saved by Jesus forever. It's this moment where it doesn't matter how old you are, it's this moment where a person says, Jesus, I want you to have my life, and I want you to keep my life and secure my life, and I want you to save my life until the end. All the way through, we get older and we start to outthink ourselves, don't we? We get older and we start to overanalyze. We get over, older and we think, oh, I haven't worked hard enough or I haven't done enough. Paul says, you started by believing in Jesus. Why are you going to finish up believing in yourself? Do you really believe that you can improve on the grace of Christ? Why are you denying him now? And again, this goes to this end of life thing, you know, scenario that we talked about uh, last week. I'm telling you, I've seen it a million times, you know, a few times. As I talk to people, you know, but, but one, one sticks with me. One sticks with me. A, a lady, I got a phone call from her. She said, can you come over to the house? We got to talk. And she says, I'm just scared. I'm scared because I haven't done enough. I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to go through life scared. I certainly don't want you laying on your deathbed scared that you haven't done enough. Remember, lock this in. Write this on your, uh, you hang it on your refrigerator if you want to. You haven't done anything. You won't do anything to save your life. Jesus paid it all. We didn't pay anything. There isn't anyone I know who's going to pass up a life raft when they're drowning, and that's what we do if we think God won't love us if we're not good enough. Paul talks about finishing the race. He talks about finishing strong. What does Paul say about finishing the race? 2 Timothy 4, this is near the end of Paul's life. He knows he's about to be executed. He writes to Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And how does he do that? What does he mean by finishing the race? He has kept the faith. He has remained in this trust of Jesus Christ. That's what he means by finishing the race. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but, to, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Verses 4 and 5 in Galatians. Have you experienced so much in vain? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard? He says, Galatians, he says, church in Russia, you've heard, you've seen, you've believed, you've lived in the grace of Christ. And by the way, says Paul, you've suffered because of that. Is that all useless at this point? Is that all worthless at this point as we, as we are, are gripped with fear? Are you really going to throw away your life now? Paul says, look at the miracles. Look at the miracles. Look at the miracles of Jesus. Look at the miracles of his healing. And don't take my word for this. Please read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Follow Jesus' ministry. He heals the physical body. 
And every time, every time, every time he says, your faith, your trust has healed you. Never once does he say, your good life has healed you. Or you're healed because you have the right position. Or you're healed because you have the right job. Or you're healed because you live at the right place or in the right country or are the right race or the right gender. He says, your faith has healed you. And why was he doing all this physical healing anyway? It was pointing to healing of the person. Healing of the person to make whole again, to make right again, to make complete again. That is the teleos we read about in Scripture. Verse 6, Paul says, So also Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And we've already seen that. That's why we began with that series, moving into this series. We've already seen that Abraham was righteous because he believed in God. We also saw that Abraham was not a good person. Abraham committed sins I'd never even thought of. He was inventing sins, some of these things. Yes, he was tripping over himself. As he was going through life, he was tripping over the flesh. He wasn't good, but he trusted. He trusted God, who he was, what he was, what he said. He was faithful. He believed God. Yes, again, just like you and me, the flesh of the fallen person does get in the way. And we stumble over that as we're groping our way through life. But Abraham never gave up on Christ. These people are giving up. Verses 7 through 9. Understand then that those who have faith, people who believe in Jesus, are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's you and me, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Look at verse 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who rely on faith, those who put their whole hope, their whole life upon the bed of faith, those who trust in Jesus Christ, those who define themselves by their faith in Jesus. We've asked this from the very beginning, and I I hope we say this of ourselves. Was Abraham a saved person? And people say, yes, absolutely. there's, There's no doubt about that. I want us to be able to say of ourselves, yes, absolutely, there's no doubt about that. That's kind of a foolish question. What does Paul say? Those who have faith, trust, in the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ are children of Abraham, heirs of that same promise. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And again, leave out of the law if you want to, okay? That's not, we're not doing anything wrong there when we're trying to learn and trying to understand All who rely upon works, all who rely upon works are under a curse. As it's written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Think about these words. Paul's talking to Gentiles. Think about these words. All who are cursed, all all of you who are cursed, or everyone is cursed, that doesn't do everything written in the book of the law. That doesn't go away, church. That has never gone away. And I guarantee you, at this point, at this place in your life, you haven't done everything written in the book of the law. You haven't done a portion of the stuff written in the book of the law. I haven't done a portion of the stuff written in the book of the law. We certainly haven't kept the book of the law our entire lives. 
That's why we learn in Matthew chapter 5, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, this is what Jesus says, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything's accomplished. You think this has gone away? It hasn't gone away. If you're going to live by the law, you're going to die by the law. You better keep every 309 rules that there are. Yet you and I have no hope of doing everything written in the law or doing enough good works or even the correct works or even eliminating sin in our life. So if that's what we're hanging our salvation on, we are already cursed. But Jesus fulfilled the works of the law. He fulfilled all works that we could not fulfill. That's what he starts out with in Matthew chapter 5. I've come to fulfill the law for you. And so in verse 11, Paul says, clearly no one who relies upon the law, no one who relies upon works is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. If you trust Jesus with your life, you're righteous. You're made righteous. It's righteousness imparted to us in a right standing with God, treated as righteous. Now that righteousness is also something that Paul tells Timothy to live up to. Again, he's, he's got to stop the bleeding first. He'll get to that. Paul's going to get to that. I want to work really hard to get to heaven. By definition, that makes you unrighteous. I want to be really good to get to heaven. By definition, if that's your mentality... That makes you unrighteous. The law, verse 12, or works, is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things is going to live by them. They're going to live by them. They're going to perish by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. You've heard this from the second letter to the Corinthians in verse 5. God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus already became your sin. He already became those problems. He already became those issues. He already took those things to the cross. He already paid the price for those things in your life, those things in your family's life, those things in your kid's life. Teach them to trust who he is. Verse 14, he redeemed us. That is, bought us back. He bought us back with his life in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That is redemption from Christ. We've talked about this many times. It is to buy someone to set them free. This was, this was one of the things. That, we never hear about these stories. We never hear these people's names. But they're incredible heroes in history. How abolitionists in the north would purchase slaves in the south. Because if, if, if they just harbored a runaway they could still uh, be prosecuted and send them back. But they would spend their entire fortunes purchasing people, and then they would set them free. That's what Jesus does. He purchases you and I with his life to set us free. This promise, this covenant between God and man, between God and Abraham from the very beginning was salvation through Jesus. This was even partially revealed to mankind before Abraham. That's Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 from chapter 1 through chapter 3 is the entire Bible. Read it. If you want to read the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3. Okay? Then from there through Revelation, it tells the same story over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's what the Bible says. All right? 
So this salvation, this saving grace of Jesus was talked about even in the very beginning of Scripture. It was never, never live a good life and be saved. Paul explains, brothers and sisters, in verse 15, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant an agreement that's been legally and duly established, so it is in this case. You can't add to the saving grace of Jesus. You can't add to this promise that God made Abraham. You can't alter this promise that God made Abraham. You're not allowed to do that, and even if you try, it's completely null and void. Verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. Scripture doesn't say seeds to everybody, but to seed, meaning to Jesus Christ. What I mean is this, the works and the law introduced 430 years later, that doesn't set aside this initial promise that God makes to Abraham that we will be saved through our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 18, if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise that God made to Abraham. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. We don't have the right to change the contract, church. That's what the Galatians were doing. Every time, every time they say that they have to work for salvation, they change the terms of the agreement. There's only one person who made the agreement. That's Jesus Himself. So if I'm determining what the agreement is, what am I saying about myself? that I'm greater than God. Now we begin to see how working for salvation, doing good for salvation, makes us unrighteous. Unrighteous before Christ. So he's coming down pretty hard on the law. He says, is it, is it opposed to God's promises? Verses 21 through 22. Absolutely not. If the law had been given that could impart life, the righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. All right, church, that's you, that's me, that's the world caught in the net. Caught in the net. That's the fish in the tank. That's the fish in the net. Everything in this world is trapped by sin, leading to certain death. And you can flip, you can flop, you can swim, you can hunt, you can work, you can, do, you can do a million different things inside of that net or inside of that aquarium. But at no point, says Paul, are you set free by any of that. Without Jesus, we are merely fish moving around in the net. We are locked up in sin. We simply cannot escape certain death without Jesus Verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian. The works were our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You've seen, church, particularly today, the kids that have gone from one stage or place in life to another. And they are taught, they're molded, they're shaped, they're instructed. There's guides along the road. And those guides along the road are their parents. 
and they serve as guardians. There was a time when you and me and the human race were children, children. And we were children, so God gave us the rule book. He said, this is just to watch over you. This list of do's and don'ts, this working hard, this this training, this all of this stuff. He says, this is just to watch over you. He says, some of you now have come to adulthood. Some of you now have grown into this understanding that you no longer need the guardian. What you need is faith in Jesus Christ. And it's that faith alone that will absolutely begin to transform your life if if you believe in Jesus. If you've given your life to Jesus. If you haven't, you will see no transformation. You will see no change. You will see no sanctification by the Spirit. It's for the adults. It's for the grown-ups of the human race. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that Jesus has for us and shown on the cross. We thank you for the love that you have for us as you laid out this absolutely certain way to be saved in a sin-filled life. Father, we don't want to be trapped. We don't want to be caught in the net. We, we want to be free men and women, men and women of maturity, men and women without the guardian focused completely on the love and, per, and, 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 and character of Jesus Christ. Father, we, help, we ask that you help relieve our minds, our hearts, that we leave this place knowing absolutely for certain that if we believe in Jesus, then we are saved. We ask, Father, that you will open our eyes, open our desire to living out that incredible righteousness that you've given to us. In Jesus' name. Please stand and sing.
same Father, same Savior. And we get to live eternally with you as you open our eyes, as you transform our hearts. We thank you that you've given us certainty, that you've given us hope. We thank you, Father, that it's through your design that we become righteous. We live up to this beautiful righteousness. We thank you, Father, for that privilege in Jesus' name.